Thank you. Neil, do you to God be the glory. Um you're confused about who's preaching today, I still am myself. Things um yesterday morning things were pretty much settled. Kirk was preaching. Um and things continued to um deteriorate and precisely at yesterday and um through circumstances beyond anyone's control really. But um about seven thirty last night, you know, Said, you know, I, I, it was up in the air whether Kirk would still preach today or not. No, not through any fault of his own. Um, and so um, I just said, you know what, I'll do it. So, and basically, what I'm doing, I, I supposed to preach next week, and I say, suppose I, will, I you know, Lord willing, I will be preaching next week. Um, so what I did, uh, what I thought I should do or have done, is take. Um, that sermon is split it into two. And so um, I won't be quite as long-winded next week as I would have been um, then. But what I, um, what I want to bring to you um, in these two sermons is a uh, message out of 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and 10. And so that's what we'll be looking at today if you want to turn to those that in your Bible. title of this sermon, because we don't have a bulletin today, the bulletin expressed Paul was going to be here, you know, so everything is kind of different today. But the title here is Take Heed, and I'll get into that as we, um, we get into our sermon for today. But um, before we take a look at our passage today, I, I, I want to set the stage of the context for us so we'll all be on the same page. That's very important. Um, you know, we're dropping right in the middle of 1 Corinthians um, chapter 9 and 10 here. It's kind of the middle of the book. So it's important to know what Scripture is referring to here. And, you know, the context and what I am coming at here in this context is, is winning souls for Christ winning souls for Christ. Um, the, apostle, excuse me, the Apostle Paul begins in chapter 9, actually in 8 and 9, discussing his freedoms, his liberties that he had in Christ. Um, let's look at verse 16 of chapter 9 together, and we'll see Paul's heart. Paul, the Apostle, this is his heart. It says in verse 16, chapter 9, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion. But woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. You know, so so Paul, Paul, it was um, basically a necessity for him. These are lessons for us. Um, we have a necessity to preach the gospel. We should have. But you know, it was a divine call for Paul. You know, Paul, Paul is going to reveal his strategy here in a few minutes. Of, of his personal strategy for doing that, um, how he accomplished that. You know, his strategy was winning people to Christ. He had a desire to see that done. Um, he wanted to see people saved, you know, and he, and he felt it as a responsibility for him. Um, and there was a sacrifice involved in order to do this. Um, sacrifice that he took in his life to win people 
Christ. So we see verse 16, and let's jump down to verse 19. We'll kind of get the context here. We'll cover 19 through 23. For though I am free from all men, I have made my, myself a slave to all so that I may win more. Basically, Paul is like, like Christ here. I come to serve and not be served. He says, I have made myself a slave to all so that I might win more. And we're going to see that word win here. Win, win, win. Verse 20, to the Jews I became a Jew so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law as without law, though not being without law, the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that. I might win those who are without law. To the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men so that I may by all means save some. Then verse 23, I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. So the context that we're dealing with here again is that we discussed, and we're going to start in, in verse 24 of chapter 9, and we're going to go through the first 13 verses of chapter 10, and I'll read those in a minute. But the context here is winning souls for Christ. You know, Paul wanted to hear those words as we all want to hear one day. Well done, Paul. Good and faithful servant. You know, I have two reasons for bringing these passages to our attention. Um, one um, is our pastor, Pastor Paul, has been working his way for us through Second Corinthians. That main theme is reconciling the world. Second Corinthians five nineteen and 20. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God was making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled. That's our message. So we as Christians are God's representatives. And we have been commissioned by God to be faithful preachers of God's message of redeeming love. And the second reason I have um, for this message comes with us with an admonition or a warning, if I could say that. Um, and we're going to get into this in just a few minutes, but there's a scary word here that we're going to talk about is, is we can be disqualified from this duty of reconciliation because of a sinful lifestyle, continual sin in our life. Um, but please hear me, this disqualification, this is very important. I want you to understand this. This disqualification is about service, not about salvation. That's that's why I wanted to set the context here for us. We're talking about winning souls for Christ. We are not talking about your salvation. Please understand that. You know, the Apostle Paul is addressing the Corinthians and us because we can develop, and it's a dangerous attitude, of I'm too far along in my Christian walk. You know, I've been a Christian for X amount of years, and I'm too far along to get you know, get trapped in any, any habitual sin. 
I'm not concerned. And that's a pitfall. And so pitfall, pitfall for us is we can develop a sense of immunity from any accountability or authority. And when we as Christians get to a place where we are so confident and mature in our own strength and we think we can handle anything, we have become overconfident in ourselves. Romans chapter 12 tells us in two different verses not to think more highly of yourself than you ought, not to be wise in your own estimation. So like I said at the beginning, the title of the sermon is Take Heed, and that comes from verse 12 of chapter 10, which basically sums up everything that we're going to be talking about for the next two Sundays. And that, that reads, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. So let's um, read our scripture. I'm, I'm going to read uh, from 924 through the first 13 verses of chapter 10. Today we're going to be just focusing on uh, 924 through 27. Let's read God's word together. Verse 24, chapter 9. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. But I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, this is chapter 10, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Your version may say overthrown. Now, these things happen as example for us, so that we would not crave evil things as they also crave. Do not be idolaters, as some of them, did, some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally. Some of them did. And 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpent. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages has come. Therefore, verse 12, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. Temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. A lot going on here. We Hopefully we can clear this up together and see what Scripture, what God is, is telling us here. So, basically, the exhortation here is that we believers are participating in a spiritual race. Um, 
all scripture is not by any means, and, and this scripture is not by any means suggesting that only one wins the prize. What the apostle is saying is to us that we have to take our spiritual life seriously and consider it to be a life in which we must exert ourselves um, to the limit. We must apply ourselves spiritually. And we must do this as if we were engaged in a race and competing for a prize. You know, and what's the prize? Again, the prize is to win people to Christ. You know, the Christian who is going to be effective in service, as we just read, is the one who is going to be self-disciplined, self-controlled. And basically, the what we're winning here, we're winning people to Christ, but um, Paul talks of a, of, of a wreath that these um, athletes would, would win. But that wreath was uh, perishable. We will receive that wreath which is not perishable, that will carry us into eternity. He says, we must deny ourselves. We must sacrifice. That's what he's saying. That's what he did. That's what he, God is asking of us. Self-denial. Self-control. Self-discipline. So, you know, Paul, Paul used an example from the sports world of a boxer and a runner. That's what he's going to use here for. He says, and no one running in, in the race loses sight of the finish line. In fact, he says, I do not run without aim. Paul always was pressing on toward the goal of the upper call, Christ reading Philippians. You know, in, in a race, if you've ever been in a, in a race, um, physically, um, you set your eyes for that goal line, that's what you're looking at. But the moment that you start looking behind you or looking away, you're going to lose your motivation, you're going to lose your step. When you do that, somebody will step closer or step in front of you. But it's not about competition in the spiritual realm. It's about you setting your face straight to the to the goal. And that goal is winning people to Christ. So we want to, don't want to lose our motivation by looking around spiritually. Saying we set our mind, we set our heart, set our eyes on the goal. And he talks about also I do not box as one beating the air. Um you ever done any boxing, you have to be careful because you've got a competitor there that wants to knock your head off. So when a boxer when a boxer throws a punch and misses, he exposes himself to a counterpunch, and that counterpunch can be a knockout blow. So, so Paul, what he's telling us here, he's not wasting his blows by beating the air. He has a purpose. You know, he has precision. He has skill in order to do this, in order not to miss an opportunity in his fight for the gospel. Then in verse 27, you know, Paul, Paul continues with his imagery here of the sports world. And he's saying, basically what he's saying is, I practice what I preach. His lifestyle lines up with the gospel. A lesson for us. His lifestyle lines up with the gospel. And basically, the little literal reading of this verse in the Greek 
he says, but I discipline my body and make it my slave. Basically, what he's saying is I give my body a black eye with a little reading in the Greek. We have no reason to think that Paul mistreated himself. What he is saying that he exercises self-control, he is dedicating his life to the service of Christ. Why does he do that? For Christ, yes, to win souls for Christ, for his love of the Lord. These things all come in. But he also, he adds something here. He says this, he says, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. That word should scare us or at least get our attention. You know, I have tried to water this word down. Um, Disqualified is a pretty serious word here. Tried to water it down. Uh, Tried to find, find some other word to explain it. But it's not in there. Basically, it means to be disapproved, rejected, or not standing the test. Christian life is compared to a race, as Paul is showing us here. And all of us are in this race, whether you want to be or not. If you're a Christian, you're in a race. And um, the danger here is that some of us could get disqualified. And I want to Mention again, it does not mean your salvation. It means you get disqualified out of usefulness. You get disqualified out of usefulness to God. We're going to see how that happens. And Paul's going to give an example of the people of Israel. We're going to see that next week. You know, salvation as we know it, we understand salvation, not procured by any efforts on our own. Talked about that in Sunday school this morning. You know, salvation is the gift of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. His salvation. So this is about service. This is about winning. This is about reaching people to Christ. And we have to bring our lives into subjection. We have to be under self-control. Self will never control self. We cannot do it on our own. I'll do better. We won't. So self has to be brought under control of the Holy Spirit. You know, Paul here indicates that even he may be disqualified if he fails to practice that self-control. You know, the apostle is a great example to us. He spared no effort to serve the Lord, preach the gospel, and to live honorably. Why he said, practice what I preach. He practiced what he preached. You know, Paul in his second letter to the Corinthians um, warned, and I'll read it, 2 Corinthians 3, 13, 15. And I guess our pastor will get to it one of these years. Um, 13, 5. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, Unless, indeed, you fail the test. So, um, what, I, what I'd like to do here is give us a little example of people that kind of lost their self-control. I'm, I'm going to use Old Testament um, people that we would recognize. Um, and because 
they couldn't exercise self-control or they kind of were didn't get to see things that they would have been able to see. Um, one is Esau. Going back to um book of Genesis, and you can read this later. I'll read it for you today, but it's found in Genesis 25, um, 31 through 34. I won't read the whole section, but basically what's going on here, um, Jacob's in the kitchen cooking, and um, Esau comes in hungry. and Supposedly it's just some type of red stew. It reminded me when uh, Mary Grace, my youngest child, was uh, young, she would always call uh, beef red chicken. And so kind of when I hear the word red stew, I, I always kind of think of that. But anyway, um, you know, so Jacob's in the, in the kitchen cooking, and Esau comes in, and he's hungry. In fact, he says, I'm so hungry I could die. Yeah, it's a little emotional here. I think he's, but anyway, and Jacob's a trickster, right? We all understand Jacob, the old the planter. Um, but anyway, anyway, Jacob said, and he said, "Give me some of that stew." And Jacob's reply was in verse thirty-one. But Jacob said, first sell me your birthright." And the birthright is is very important in those days. Basically, he was the principal heir of the family's fortune. He was number one. He got everything, and if anything's left, the rest of the children got whatever's left over. He was the principal heir. Esau said, Behold, I am about to die. What use then is the birthright to me? Jacob said, Swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. His final words. Scripture, thus Esau despised his birthright. And that basically means contempt toward God's promises. God had said this, and Esau thought nothing of it. That contempt for what God had said to him. And so you see the loss there that happened because of his contempt for God's promises. Next one is, is one person, you know, you'll recognize it, but I'm sure you've read it before, but Moses. 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 What's going on with Moses? Um, he couldn't enter the promised land. And we probably think that God was a little harsh with Moses. And he struck the rock, or speaking to it. God instructed him. This is found in Numbers 20. 7 through 12, basically what's going on here is, is the Lord spoke to Moses and he told Moses, take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brothers, and tell the rock. They were thirsting, they needed water. Tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. Verse 9, and Moses took the staff before the Lord as he commanded him. And verse 10, then Moses and Aaron gathered this gathered the assembly together before the rock and said to them, Here now you rebels, that we bring water from you out of this rock. And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. Water came out, but the Lord's response to Moses was this in verse 12. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me, to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, 
Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I've given them. Kind of tight, isn't it? But basically, what's going on here? Moses failed to take God at his word. And thus, failed to treat God as holy before his people. See that discipline in life here? Treat God as holy before people. Next week, we're going to talk about being a witnessing community. And we have been set in this world as a representative of God. People will say, can look at us and say, this is what the people of God look like. This is what the people of God do. How is our witness? Are we treating God as holy before the people? And then there's King Saul. Um, King Saul was a little bit of a rascal. Um, and we find out in 1 Samuel 13, 8 through 14, and I'll set what's going on here. Basically, um, Samuel, not Samuel, Saul is getting ready to um, fight the Philistines, which was on and on and on battle in his time. But anyway, he was told um, to set himself up and um, wait for um, Sam, Samuel to come to offer, make the offerings, burn offerings and the peace offerings. And we know from Scripture that you know, nobody can do that but a prophet or a priest, right? But anyway, so Saul, he, he becomes anxious. So what does he say? Verse 9, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offerings, and he offered the burnt offerings. And as soon as he had finished offering the burnt offerings, behold, Samuel came. And that's the way it always um, And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel says, what have you done? Saul said, well, when I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I, have, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. This is his reply. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And then Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God. Here we go again. Stay in that word which he commanded for you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom forever. So we lost sight. His lineage would have continued forever, the scripture says. Verse 14, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. So he lost his lineage as king to Israel. You know, usually no self-control, which Saul had a problem with. Usually when we have no self-control, then we have to rely on ourselves. Then we become self-sufficient. Saul just grabbing that offering, peace offering, burnt offering, and I'll do it myself, which he had no right to. He knew better. He lost his self-control, and God removed, removed him from lineage. So, kind of a practical question, and I'm kind of going to wind down with this 
um, this morning, but a very practical question comes to mind. Um, so how do I exercise self-control? How do I be self-disciplined? How do I not run aimlessly? How do I not beat the air? Paul is saying to us. And so I, I think at least these three spiritual disciplines come to mind for me. They're kind of the foundation of our spiritual discipline. The one is the Word of God, two, prayer, and three, fellowship. But as we've just read, you know, it's going to take, you know, discipline and practice and sacrifice on our part. You know, just like this athlete who competes to win the prize. It's going to take a lot from us. So if we are to know, first the Word of God, if we are to know who God is, who we are, and what God wants us, we need to study the Bible. If you want to know who you are, who God is, we need to study the Bible. John Piper, I read this quote, says, if you want to hear God speak, read the Bible out loud. Simple as that. I love that quote. I've used it many times. You know, God did not write a book, send it to be read on occasion. You know, hit and miss Bible study, meditation, reading, whatever of the scriptures is going to sap motivation. There has to be a plan. Athletes, they have a diet, they have a exercise plan, and they stick to it. If they're going to win, they've got to do this. Lazy athletes have never won anything. You know, God has spoken His Word and continually speaks through His Word. You know, God lives in His spoken Word. A.W. Tozer, theologian, says, I think a new world will arise out of the religious mist when we approach our Bible with the idea that it is not only a book which was once spoken, but a book which is now speaking. Then there's R.C. Sproul. I've heard this quote before. We fail in our duty to study God's Word not so much because it is dull and boring, but because it's work. Our problem is not a lack of intelligence or a lack of passion. Our problem is that we're lazy. Remember this athlete just mentioned, lazy athlete is not going to win the prize. You get left behind. It's going to be an also rain. Next prayer. Prayer is essential to our life with God. With you know, we have to communicate with God. When we don't communicate with God, um, love's going to wane. When a husband and wife, same thing. No on communication, love's going to wane. You know, prayer is probably the simplest yet most profound of these spiritual disciplines. And, and prayer, it's so hard for us to pray, but it's so simple at the same time. It's basically communicating with God. You know, we have this amazing privilege to speak directly to God Himself. And, and, and what's really remarkable is that he listens. 
and he answers for us. And he speaks to us in return. You know, prayer basically changes us more than it does changes the situation. Prayer changes us more than it does the situation. And that's what it's about, us changing more for the glory of God. You know, prayer increases our faith. You know, prayer is going to change, uh, hopefully change our perspective, my perspective on things. And prayer works. Prayer works. And God unleashes His power through prayer. You know, and God invites us to pray. And He does so to help usher in His kingdom. What what a wonderful thing to do to have prayer, to have His Word. You know, our efforts are probably sloppy. Admit that. I might not. But some, for whatever reason, God has, has chosen to accomplish His will through us. Remember, we are ambassadors for Christ. One other way, and finally this last little way of uh, training ourselves to be godly is through fellowship. Um, we need each other. Do you realize it or not? We need each other. We are the body of Christ. We cannot say we have no need of anyone in the body of Christ. Each one of us is necessary. We are necessary. We're a necessary part of God's kingdom. You know, and God, God cares comes in many forms. Fellowship is God caring enough to put people in our lives to encourage us, rebuke us, and comfort us. You know, and one of the necessities that, that needs to come and should come from fellowship is accountability. You know, if we do not have someone holding us to an account, we may be in trouble. Sin is so very, very deceitful and it can blind. Take heed. Don't you fall? So as long as sin still lurks inside of us, and unfortunately it does, there will always be patches of spiritual blindness where we can't see. Objects may be closer than you think they are. The mirror says. So with spiritual blindness, we never see ourselves as accurately. We should, as we think we do. Also, with fellowship, we 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 develop a worshiping heart together. And a worshiping heart is a guarded heart. Here again next week when we talk about discontentment, one of the sins, murmuring, and um, how that continues, it just leads down a path of other things that are not good. So we need each other. We need to be together. We need to have in a few minutes here we're going to have a worship time and and think of that worshiping time as, as, as developing in me a praise of God and a praise of God is a guarded heart. 
So what is this race? You know, a race we're running in is this race here to win people to Christ, as we talked about this morning. And, and the race here for us is to bring us to maturity, to our sanctification, our growth that we have to play a part in. Salvation is a gift. But then there's this process of growing through the Christian years. We have to play a part in that. When somebody once wrote, you have to cut your own grass here. That, you know, discipline of living, that discipline and self-control Christian life. You know, an athlete must be disciplined. And probably as, as we think of athletes that, you know, set them up, you know, mortal, mortal kind of, but, um, you know, they are very disciplined, the ones that make it. We read about it. You know, and what, what are they driven for? Mostly fame and money. What's fame and money going to do one day? We talk about that imperishable reef. Perishable reef, that's all going to be gone. That's what, I won't say that's what all of them do, but that's what they're striving for, money and fame. But take them as an example. We have to be just as spiritually self-controlled and disciplined as they are physically. We have to sacrifice. We have to say no to things. We can't break the rules. to win people to Christ. That's the prize we're striving for needlessly. Paul would say now, God bless the preaching of his word.